Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 329, and today we are talking about books being released on September 21st, 2021, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Tears of Price, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Tears of, hello! Hello, Liberty! How's it going? Oh, it's going really well, thanks! You know, it's starting to feel a little bit cool, a little bit like fall here, and I'm very excited about it. Um, also, this is the first time that I'm recording with you from my new house in Iowa. So oh, that's kind of fun. Right. That's exciting. Yeah, I've got a completely new setup. So hopefully I sound all right. Not too echoey. <laughs> no, you sound great. Perfect. Perfect. I was just asking you if you could hear me because it's raining here and the cars going by. I live on the busiest road on the eastern seaboard and <laughs> the cars going by are so loud because wheels on water on Pavement equals loud. <laughs> well, my new town has train tracks that go through it. And I've never lived in a town that's been, like, super close to trains before. So I'm getting mm-hmm. used to the fact that, like, randomly uh, trains will just go by. And it really depends, I guess, on whoever's driving the train. Um, whether or not they do, like, a couple, like, hey, Hong Kong, we're coming through. Or if they, like, just lay on the whistle. So, yeah, it's fun. And I have not quite figured out, like, what their schedule is, apparently. Like, to me, it feels, like, (laughs) random. Like, oh, there goes a train. But um, so I'm sure that if we record long enough and often enough, we will one day hear a train in the background because my house is only, like, two blocks away from the tracks and it's very loud. Oh, yeah. I don't, you know, now that you say it, we have train tracks and the trains go by, but it's always, like, in the middle of the night. I think that they're just there to, like, move things for construction and you know there's a a naval base nearby and they take stuff there and but like it's always like pretty low-key just like some low whistles (laughs) at night you hear them a lot but it's not nearly as loud as like the people driving by with their (laughs) radios blaring in the middle of the night which is totally me by the way (laughs) I i am that person i'm very sorry but like when i'm in my car driving like that is my loud time like i had to i have to go somewhere tomorrow that's several hours away and Someone else was like, hey, do you want to drive with me? And I was like, no. <laughs> no, I don't, because I want my loud time so that I can play my music so loud that I can't hear anything else and just scream. It's going to be great. Very excited for that. It sounds very therapeutic. It really is, because as I've mentioned a few times, you know, I cannot listen to music while I'm reading, which is 90% of what I do. So every once in a while, I'm like, I need to listen to music. Like, I have very visceral reactions. I woke up the other morning and I was, and my very first thought was, if I don't listen to the Violent Femmes right now, I'm going to die. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty certain I'm going to die right now. So I got out of bed and I put on the Violent Femmes and I was like, oh, it's so much better. <laughs> well, I'm glad <laughs> you did <Yay>. die. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, lo- I love music, but yeah. I mean, it, I, I don't know. Do people listen to music, especially with words? Like, can you listen to music with words while you're reading? Yes. And in fact, when I was a kid, it was like my favorite thing to do was I had a little portable radio and I lived like way out in the country. So I would always listen to like the radio to like the top, Mm -hmm. like either the country hits or the pop hits like on a Friday night. I'd listen to that while I was reading my books. That was like my ideal Friday night because... I was a nerd and I didn't have many friends way out in the middle of nowhere. But yeah, I could do that. I don't really do it now, though. The only time that I might be listening to music while reading is um, if my partner's listening to something and we kind of happen to be in the same vicinity, then like I can kind of I can still read while that music's playing in the background. And I write with music playing in the background. I Sometimes I need the music. With words? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was listening to Fleetwood Mac today while I was writing. Oh, that is good stuff. 
But I would be I would be completely distracted. It just I don't know what it is. I cannot read though if the TV is on. And it doesn't matter if I can't see Where? the TV, if I if I can hear the TV, I can't do it. Yeah. So like that is the one thing I can't do is is TV and read. Not that I try to watch TV and read at the hmm. same time, but like if somebody else is watching <laughs> the TV, I can't be reading. Yeah. I have to, like, go to another room. Oh, yeah. I have that same problem, like, when my husband watches TV. I have to, like, close the door to my office. I wonder if it's just, like, my problem with, with attention. I don't know. <laughs> I, I can't. Especially, like, I've tried music without words, and it still doesn't really work for me. Yeah. So, I don't know. Well, it's like, yeah, your brain's getting pulled in two different directions. It's hard to focus. <laughs> yeah. In my brain, I mean, my brain is smooth like an egg. <laughs> so I already have enough problems with it. <laughs> we are going to talk about books now after we hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by National Geographic Books. The Cave is the incredible memoir of Imani Balur, a young doctor and activist who ran an underground hospital in Damascus, humanizing the enduring crisis in Syria. The only woman to have ever run a wartime hospital in Syria, she saved many from the atrocities of war while having to face the patriarchal conservatism around her. Amani Balor is a game changer. Listen, she will be remembered as one of history's greatest. She's a passionately committed humanitarian, and she is determined to help others escape the horrors that she survived. Make sure to pick up the memoir, The Cave by Amani Balor and Rania Abuzaid, for a memoir that expands on the 2019 Oscar-nominated film by the same name, which documents her experience running the hospital, shielding children from horrific sarin attack, losing colleagues, trying to employ more women in the hospital, and eventually leaving and becoming a refugee. So make sure to read about this amazing woman. And thanks again to National Geographic Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publisher of the smash hit Fourth Wing. So this book I'm about to tell you about might be the next book talk, darling. It's a high octane fantasy adventure filled with risk, romance, action, and sweet vengeance. In it, there are five liars who have five agendas, but only one target. So in Five Broken Blades from author Mae Corlin, the five most dangerous liars in the land have been mysteriously summoned to work together for a single objective, which is to kill the cruel God King June. Each has tasted bitterness, from the hired hitman seeking atonement to the lovely assassin dreaming of freedom, to even the prince exiled for his own crimes. This is a high-stakes game of treachery where the vengeance is sweet, the secrets are delicious, and each page deepens a journey that will keep you guessing until the very end. This also has themes of friendship, found family. You got a little bit of everything in this. Make sure to check out Five Broken Blades. And thanks again to Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publisher of the smash hit Fourth Wing for sponsoring this episode. And Tirza, you are going to kick things off today for a change. All right. Well, I feel like I have to like give a little preemptive warning to like everybody and just say that like all my picks kind of reflect that it's turning towards spooky season. Um, and even like my lighter pick is still kind of about death. So yay, here we go. So my first pick is All These Bodies by Kendar Blake, which is a young adult standalone book. It is kind of eerie, kind of creepy. It is obviously taking a lot of inspiration from Truman Capote's And Cold Blood, which is a book that utterly fascinated me the first time I read it and still kind of fascinates me just because of everything that's going on in that book, like the, the true crime, but like also Truman Capote kind of like pioneering this, you know, creative nonfiction genre. I think it's all very fascinating. So I picked up this book knowing that it was in part inspired by In Cold Blood. Um, and I was not disappointed, although it's not really like a true In Cold Blood read alike if that's what you're expecting. So All These Bodies is about a teenage boy named Michael. He is the son of the sheriff in a small town in Minnesota. It's like 1957 or something, sometime in the 1950s. And there has been like this series of murders that like started in Kansas, swept across Iowa into Wisconsin and Minnesota. And basically what happens is like these bodies are discovered completely without blood. So of course, the media is like, it's a vampire, the bloodless murders, and it gets a lot of attention because it 
insinuates that there's a serial killer on the loose. And so the story really starts when this serial killer strikes um, the small town that Michael is living in. And basically a family um, is killed. And instead of like the killer vanishing without a trace as the killer has done in all the previous murders, one person is left behind and it's a teenage girl named Marie and she's just covered in blood, but like there's no blood anywhere else in the room on the bodies in the bodies. Like it's a really weird case where people are like, what the heck is happening? So this young woman, Marie gets taken into custody and she's booked at, you know, the the local jail, which Michael's father runs as the sheriff like it's a very small operation there's only two sheriff deputies and immediately like the media and prosecutors from other states are like we want this girl we want to prosecute her she must be responsible for these murders but she won't admit to them and she kind of insinuates that there's like another person who's involved and so everybody wants her to give up her accomplice because they figure it must be a man it must be an older man And he must be the one in charge of the killings. And she's just kind of being dragged along. And that's that's really what everybody thinks. And so they're not quite willing to hand her over to like the FBI or to other states yet. But Marie will not tell anybody anything. And she actually says, you know what? I'm not going to confess or tell anyone anything. The only person I will talk to is Michael, our protagonist, who is this aspiring journalist and son of the sheriff. So he's he's like... What? Me? Okay. And he's curious and he wants to know and he thinks like maybe this will make a good story. He can get into journalism school. But of course, the story that Marie tells sort of defies logic and doesn't always make a lot of sense. And he knows that like, surely this can't be the truth. But what if it is the truth? So I really liked that um, Blake creates like this very creepy atmospheric vibe. This is definitely one of those books where, like, the mystery kind of makes you go WTF and, like, where is it going? And I kind of like that. I kind of liked the whole, like, is this a supernatural thing? Is it not? Is this person, you know, suffering from, like, some kind of um, mental illness? What What is going on here? And I would say that all of that is, you know, handled very respectfully, but... It does leave you wondering. So that is All These Bodies by Kendar Blake. I got really excited for a second when you first mentioned the girl. I was like, please let this be an Anna Dressed in Blood crossover. Mm. Because I love that book. I have not read it. Is that Blake's first book? Maybe? I I believe it was the debut. Yeah. But I haven't read it. So Uh, yeah, but I think if you if you like Anna Dressed in Blood, you will probably enjoy this book. Given what I know of the book. Yeah. So. Oh, it's at the top of my list. I'm yeah. very excited. You know, and also like In Cold Blood was like the scariest book that I had ever read. Oh my gosh. Of course, I was eight when I first read it, but. <laughs> that was so young, Liberty. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. I read so many age inappropriate books when I was eight at camp one week. <laughs> uh, I was talking about them in my cannibalism post this week. I wrote that post about the best horror books featuring cannibalism and i was like i read alive and in cold blood and helter skelter and just like explained so much (laughs) like when i was little but i am looking forward to reading that one my first pick today is a book that i have been so excited for everyone to read it is the body scout by lincoln michelle and there's so much going on in this book i'm not even entirely sure where i should start with it but it's just so awesome uh, it's set in the future, and all these, like, futuristic things are going on. People talk to holograms instead of phones. There's, like, all the animals on the Earth that have ever existed, they have been able to bring them back, and now they use them as a source of meat. Huh. The early man, the Neanderthals, have been cloned and are part of the population again. And people can get replacement parts for their bodies if something goes bad or something goes wrong. If they can afford it, they're very expensive. So now some people have the ability to live forever because you're like, oh, that's broken. I'll just replace it. So the protagonist of this story is Kobo. Kobo was once a star for a cyber baseball team. Uh, He has uh, some cyber parts. And in the past, several years before the events of this book, they had a cyber athlete. Like, they were allowed to play baseball. But then... 
they were banned from sports because they're like, that's cheating. They have, you know, robot parts. And so they started banning cyber athletes. So now Kobo works as a scout for the baseball teams. All of the professional baseball teams are now owned by Big Pharma. They're all named after, like, giant pharmaceutical companies because that is probably the most realistic part of the book because that's where we're headed. Um, So now he works as a scout. But the other thing is that his brother, J.J. Zunes, is a big-time baseball star. He is a present-day baseball star. He's playing for the Monsanto Mets, and at the beginning of the book, he dies on the field. Like, that's not a spoiler. That's what this is about. And so was it these performance-enhancing drugs that he was being given? Because while cyber parts are not allowed any longer, performance-enhancing drugs and gene manipulation are totally, well, I wouldn't say above board, but it just happens. Like, everybody's doing it. So Kobo wants to get to the bottom of his brother's death, starting with finding this uh, young girl that he was seen with before he died. And Kobo also needs to figure out how to get the loan sharks off his back, because even though he's not allowed to play baseball anymore, he still owes a ton of money for these parts that he got so that he could play baseball when cyber athletes were allowed. And so he, with the help of his awesome friend, he is going to search for the answers. What happened to his brother? Who is this young woman? It's so much fun. I I just loved it from start to finish. It is a wild, inventive sci-fi thriller slash mystery. It has a lot of heart and a lot of humor, and it addresses a lot of philosophical questions, including things about cloning and body modification. Like, for instance, the early man, the Neanderthals, they have been cloned for forced labor purposes. And Mm -hmm. then there's the whole thing with the animals who are brought back just to be used for food sources. And so that people can say, like, hey, I ate a woolly mammoth. Like, wow, you know. Uh, it's it's so interesting. It's like if Mickey Spillane wrote Blade Runner. I'm a huge fan of down-on-their-luck, wisecracking private investigators. I mean, he's not really a private investigator, but, you know, that's what he's doing in this book. And, you know, he's makes a lot of mistakes, but he's trying to do what's right. I also loved the Lone Shark heavies who are after him. Brenda and Wanda, who are these half-robot twins who are on his case all the time. It's so much fun. And I hope that he writes more in this world. I mean, it's it's definitely a standalone, but I would be super excited if we got to see more in this world. I do want to give content warnings for violence, murder, body modification, and body horror, gore, trauma, and chemical use and abuse, and also a lot of inferred animal death because of all the meat eating. So that is The Body Scout by Lincoln Michelle. That sounds so bonkers. I'm always impressed with writers who have, like, amazing premises, and that sounds really interesting. Yeah. All right, my second pick is When Things Get Dark, which is a short story collection edited by Ellen Datlow, and this is a collection of short stories where, like, the whole, like, sort of theme and central focus is basically, like, stories inspired by Shirley Jackson, whom I love. So naturally, I was always going to read this book, and it just so happens that I could read it for my episode here. So this is a short story collection with so many amazing different authors. I mean, you've got Carmen Maria Machado, you have Josh Mallerman, John and McGuire, Stephen Graham Jones, um, and Kelly Link, who is one of my favorite short story writers of all time. I think just one of my favorite writers of all time. Um, so they are all contributors to this anthology. And there's um, a bunch of other people, too. Some people, like, I honestly, I'm going to admit, I did not know who they were until this anthology. So they were new to me. But what I really like about this, like, this collection is that, like, it's, there's so much that you can, there's so many different directions you can go with if you're, like, just write a short story that's inspired by Shirley Jackson, in part because Shirley Jackson was very, she had such a good wide range. Like, I don't know if you've, if you've never read anything by Shirley Jackson. I think a lot of people, they immediately go to, like, The Haunting of Hill House or The Lottery, which is a short story that a lot of people have to read in school. And it's, you know, arguably her most famous short story. Um, but if you kind of dig deeper into her entire works, like she wrote everything from like really funny domestic sort of comedies that she sold to women's magazines about her family life to like the darker, 
stuff too. And I think that it's just two very interesting sides of her. And so this anthology being inspired by her, I think sort of marries those two sides in a really interesting way. So some of my favorite short stories in this, Elizabeth Hand wrote a short story called For Sale by Owner, which is about a haunted house, but like not what you would expect. I think if you really like the lottery, Josh Mallerman's um, short story special meal really taps into that sort of like what the heck is going on? Society looks similar, but it's structured very differently in the short story. And there's very high stakes, but you don't quite understand what those are until you really get into it. I I inhaled that short story. Um, Callie Lynx, which is the last story in this entire anthology, really, I think it's like the longest one too, is really incredible. It's called Skinder's Veil. And I I don't even know what to say about that story because it's just so super fascinating and i think it like captures like the mundane and the fantastical and how they can you know basically sometimes be like two sides of the same coin um just really really brilliantly so i love this anthology obviously not every short story in this anthology is going to be like a favorite there were a couple stories that i i will confess that i kind of skimmed through And there was one short story that, while not outrightly transphobic, had a comment that I couldn't, I I wasn't sure how to interpret, and it made me a little bit uncomfortable. Um, So, you know, that, and I can tell you that that short story is tiptoe. So if if that's something that you just want to skip over, please feel free to do so. But... The short stories in here that I liked, I really liked. And I know that some of them are so creepy, they're going to stay with me for a really long time. I know that like anthology sort of TV shows are really popular right now. And I could totally imagine this anthology or certain stories from this anthology being adapted into like a really creepy, like anthology horror show with like one hour episodes where you're just like, what the heck? And these stories could come to life in a really exciting way. So... That is When Things Get Dark, edited by Ellen Dallow. All right. I want to say two things. One, I love Shirley Jackson. And if you want to read an amazing Shirley Jackson story, it's one of my favorite ones. It was part of the Lottery and Other Stories collection that came out in 1949. I think it was originally published in Mademoiselle. And this is a really funny domestic story called Charles. Which, yes, I just, it's probably my favorite Shirley Jackson. I don't know if it still is. It's been a, a while since I've read any of her short stories, but if you, if you just Google Charles, you can like find it available online, no problem. And also, I do want to point out that the Shirley Jackson, this collection doesn't come out until the 28th, so we are teasing people. Oh, a week in shoot. Advance. I must have gotten yeah. my days wrong. I'm sorry about that, guys. That's okay. I didn't even notice until I was, like, uh, looking at my stack of September 21 books that, you know, because I, I organized them by date, and I'm like, why is it, I have that book, like, why is it sitting in that stack? And I looked it up, and I was like, oh, well. Yeah. But, I mean, it's good to know. Things are getting shifted around again, too, because of the supply Holy chain cats. issues. So, so much. Yeah. So Sorry. Much. It's almost impossible to keep track of it now. It's just like, well, whatever. I can't, you know, every day I'm like changing things in our calendar and changing things in the document. She's like, okay, I'm trying. I'm trying to stay on top of things. But <laughs> yeah, she was. It's wild. Well, luckily you only have to wait a week. So go put your pre-order in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, call your local indie. Get ready to read it. Read Charles while you wait. It's yeah. so good. I love that. So my next pick today is a fabulous novel called The Book of Form and Emptiness by Ruth Ozeki. You might recognize Ruth Ozeki's name. She wrote My Year of Meats and A Tale for the Time Being. Those are probably her two most popular novels, the latter of which I loved, The the, uh, Year of Meats. I did not read because I I generally avoid things that have, like, meat in the title. Um, But I've heard it's also excellent. And this is a very sweet, sad novel about love and loss and the physical things in our lives, which I will explain a little bit more in a second. It's the story of Benny O. Benny is 13 years old uh, when his gregarious clarinet-playing father dies in an accident. And he's left alone with his mother, Annabelle, who was a librarian who put aside her career uh, when she got pregnant and married his father, and she's been raising him 
And now their father didn't make a lot of money as a set musician, but, you know, now he's gone uh, and they don't know what they're going to do. They both feel very lost without him and they both sink into grief. And also, on the day of his father's funeral, Benny hears his father calling his name. Like, he's quite certain that his father is calling his name and he doesn't understand why that is happening. But then, hearing things talk to him starts happening more and more often. He hears a sneaker talking. He hears a broken Christmas ornament. A piece of lettuce is talking to him. And sometimes they sound like his dad and sometimes he doesn't know the voices. And it scares him because things are speaking to him. Uh, and even though sometimes they're they're nice, sometimes they're not nice. They're a little belligerent and sometimes their voices are louder than others. And it kind of freaks him out, understandably. And he begins to worry about what it means, you know, that he's hearing objects speaking to him. But it also gets harder for him because at the same time, his mother starts hoarding. So their house fills up with more and more objects. So he's having a harder time dealing with this. And he's also having a harder time in general, like at school and with the kids. His father was Japanese. His mother is American. And more and more often now that his father isn't around because he doesn't look like his mother. The kids ask him if that's his real mom. They ask her if she's his real mom, and it's upsetting to them. And the kids really liked his dad. They used to come over and play at his house, and now, like, they don't come over as much, so he's kind of lonely. So all he does, he's, like, hearing voices, and he's having a hard time at home. So he decides to go to a place that he knows will be quiet, the library. And at the library, he meets several interesting people with fascinating lives, including a poet and a performance artist. And he really feels like he's found his place, like he feels like he has a place among them. And he also meets his book, this book, the book that you are reading as the reader. The book that you are reading is the narrator of this story. The book is telling the story of Benny, and it's got beautiful things to say about books and their place in our lives. And, you know, it also tells the story of Annabelle and her romance between her and Benny's father and her life before she met Benny's father. There are speculative elements besides the voices, including some magnetic poetry on the fridge that plays an important part. And the book is about how what we have can tell our stories, how what we leave behind tells our stories, but also how we are not just the sum of our things, and how time and life affect not just our bodies and our minds, but the things around us. And book is not just the only narrator of this book. Benny also jumps in every once in a while and talks to books, being like, you're, you know, don't forget to talk about this, and you're telling this part wrong, or, you know, you're getting ahead of yourself, and they have, like, this cute little back and forth. Um, it's a really sweet, surreal story of grief and impermanence. I do want to give content warnings for mentions of chemical use and abuse, racism, ableism, mental illness, body shaming, sexual assault by a family member, loss of a loved one, bodily harm, and death. This is The Book of Form and Emptiness by Ruth Ozeki. Awesome. Um, I have also read some Ruth Ozeki, but I have not read that one yet, so that sounds amazing. Okay, my next pick is a book that is probably highly anticipated by a lot of people. Um, it is Under the Whispering Door by T.J. Klune, and T.J. Klune is the author of The House in the Cerulean Sea, which I felt like took the world by storm last year, which is in part because it's a really great book, but also I feel like it was so comforting and we all needed that during the pandemic. And I think you actually talked about that book, Liberty, when I was on an episode with you and I was like, oh man, I gotta go yes, get I did. the book. Yes, um, it's so good. So um, I also feel like it's so, it's such an interesting and unique book that like people were like, well, what do I read after The House in the Cerulean Sea? And it's like, there was no easy sort of like, okay, now you need to read this or this book is like that book. Um, so Under the Whispering Door, I think does kind of get like those same kind of um, vibes as The House in the Cerulean Sea, but different still too. So it is about a man named Wallace Price, who is this like very successful, very hoity-toity lawyer. And all he does is work all the time. And he doesn't really believe in like being kind or I don't know, having a work-life balance. He's like, no, there is work and you are efficient and that is enough. And so it is unsurprising when at the very beginning of the book, Wallace dies of a heart attack at age 40. 
And he kind of comes back and he's like at his funeral and he's like, what the heck is going on? And so that is when he meets a young woman named May, who is like the only one that can see him because he's a ghost. And May is a reaper who takes him far away from the city to this tea shop in the mountains in the woods. And the tea shop is owned by a man named Hugo. And Hugo is just, you know, this person that exists to help people, you know, guide them to whatever is next. And he is kind of like, what the heck? No, I I do not need help getting, you know, crossing over. Like, I just want to go back to my life. And he kind of has to convince him that like, no, you're pretty much dead. And so you've got to, you know, basically figure it out. Like, you've got to cross over at some point. And so this becomes just, you know, a very difficult thing for Wallace to wrap his head around. But slowly he realizes that like, yeah, this is real. And there was a lot that I missed out on in life. And if I can't stay here forever, then I've got to figure out like, what it is it that I missed out on? And how can I kind of like, cram in basically, like the best parts of living in just a short period of time. So if you've read The House in the Cerulean Sea, just like be prepared for all the feels, like you know what I'm talking about. This book is probably, um, I would say it's a little quieter than The House in the Cerulean Sea, but like it's full of, you know, just these very powerful and yet sort of mundane conversations about like what it means to be alive and how do we deal with like the people and the things that have hurt us and how do we, you know, sort of make, find meaning in all of this. It's also got like a really adorable ghost dog. It has a tea shop with scones that sounds delightful. Like I would love to go there. It's also, you know, a queer love story, which um, I'm all for, all for those, especially you know, just just finding really great ones with great representation. I think that that's awesome. I yeah, this one. I don't know. I did not cry reading the House in the Cerulean Sea, but definitely felt the waterworks starting with this book. So you know, content warning for a discussion of death. Like, there's nothing that's super graphic or violent or anything, but you know, circumstances of dying and and death, and including you know, just mentions of suicide do exist in this book. So just a heads up for that. But that is Under the Whispering Door by TJ Klune. Another great one from him. For some reason, I keep getting this cover confused with The House on Chicken Legs by Sophie Anderson. I find them to be kind of similar. So when I keep thinking of the cover of this book, like I imagine it looks like Baba Yaga's house with chicken legs and (laughs) I keep being wrong. But that's the image that I have in my head. But it has those vibes for sure. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So before I talk about my last pick for today, we are going to hear from another sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by William Morrow. I'll be dead in three months. Come tell my story. Imagine someone told you that. That's what Sebastian Trapp, a reclusive mystery novelist, told to his longtime correspondent, Nikki Hunter, an expert in detective fiction. So with only a few months left to live, Trapp invites Nikki to his spectacular San Francisco mansion to help draft his life story, living alongside his beautiful second wife, Diana, his wayward nephew, Freddie, and his protective daughter, Madeline. But soon, Nikki finds herself caught in an irresistible case of real-life detective fever. Make sure to pick up End of Story by New York Times bestselling author A.J. Finn for a book that gives Knives Out, that gives White Lotus. You'll like this if you like books by Lucy Foley, Nita Prose, and others. So make sure to pick it up, check it out, and thanks again to William Morrow for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of Anita De Monte Laughs Last by Sochil Gonzalez. So this is one of my most anticipated books of the year. It follows two women of color who are in the art world, but who also kind of sit outside of it because of a lack of privilege. 
So the story is told from both of their perspectives and it moves back and forth through time. So in 1985, Anita DeMonte is a rising star in the art world and she's found dead in New York City, right? And then in 1998, Raquel, a third year art history student, becomes involved with an older, more privileged art student and finds herself rising up the social ranks as a result. But then she also stumbles upon Anita's story and she sees parallels between Anita's story and her own. So Anita DeMonte Laughs Last is a propulsive, witty examination of power. Make sure to pick it up. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of Anita DeMonte Laughs Last by Sochil Gonzalez for sponsoring this episode. And my last pick is a nonfiction book called The Sleeping Beauties and Other Stories of Mystery Illness by Suzanne O'Sullivan. O'Sullivan is an Irish neuroscientist living in Britain. And if you don't know what a neuroscientist is, uh, I did a quick Google search at the top of Wikipedia. It says neuroscientists focus primarily on the study and research of the nervous system. The nervous system is composed of the brain, spinal cord, and nerve cells. So that is what she works on. And basically, O'Sullivan was intrigued by what are called mysterious illnesses, a harmful label that is usually perpetuated by the media. And they are cases in which there is no obvious something affecting a person, or we're not, or um, there is something obviously affecting a person, that's what I meant to say, but there is no physical explanation for what it is. She says, you know, in the past it would have been called like hysteria or psychosomatic. And now they refer to these kinds of things as functional neurological disorders. And they are often caused by trauma. And there is a harmful stigma around them that if you can't figure out what it is or you can't see what it is, people are faking it because there is no immediate explanation. And she's really interested in these cases of things like she reads in the paper uh, and she visits all these places around the world where like, this pocket of this happened here and this happened in another place, which I'll, I'll explain a little more. Um, but she traveled around the world looking at these cases of FNDs. Often, they're often specific to one location and even more specific to a certain age group and a nationality. So, for instance, the first case that she visits, there are these children in Sweden, hundreds of children who sort of just fell into a deep sleep. Sometimes for days, sometimes for months, some of them are still in this deep sleep. But there's no signs of a coma. There's no illnesses. They've been tested, you know, had spinal taps or blood work. Um, their bodies, like all the tests, like the the readouts show that they are, their body is awake. Like it's saying like, well, this is a healthy body that's awake. Yet for some reason, these children are unresponsive. They're the sleeping beauties. And it turns out that in Sweden... The children who were affected by this, ju it's just happening in Sweden, are the children of asylum seekers. And they have been through these traumatic experiences in their own country, and their families sought asylum in Sweden. And for some reason, it only was affecting children who came from the Baltic regions, which she found completely fascinating. And she went there and she visited them. And it's these families whose status is on the line there's a lot of trauma from what happened when they were there. There's a lot of stress about having to go back, like they most likely will have to go back. And she also made this correlation between these children and the fact that they are most likely the ones who read the letters from the Swedish immigration government saying, like, you're going to have to go back because their parents don't speak Swedish and the kids pick it up faster. And it's just, it's amazing. This, like, it's just fascinating. Um, and there is no outward explanation. So she's there to look at these children because if she can find a brain reason for why this is happening, you know, it's easier to get them help and also to help them stay or, you know, like providing an explanation makes it easier for people to take care of them and understand what's going on. And she talks about how, you know, the brain has so many systems in place to teach us things, you know, like everything that we know from tying our shoes to, you know, reading to storing material, like learning things, you know, so why wouldn't the brain also have systems in place to dismantle that? So, you know, because like the brain, there's so much they don't know about the brain still, which is so fascinating to me. I've said fascinating like 800 times now, but I do like, it's something that we have in our head. We have all this technology 
And yet we know so little about the brain still. It's just banana pants to me. And so O'Sullivan goes around the world visiting places like there was a town in upstate New York where a bunch of teenage girls were all suddenly struck with this affliction. Um, She goes to Kazakhstan. She goes to the Mosquito Coast of Nicaragua. She goes to Colombia. She goes and investigates this case at the U.S. Embassy in Cuba. And if you like medical mysteries or you like reading about science or the brain or just really good nonfiction, I found this to be so compelling and just amazing. Uh, I do want to give content warnings for mentions of mental illness and physical illness, trauma, violence, and death. Uh, That is called The Sleeping Beauties and Other Stories of Mystery Illness by Suzanne O'Sullivan. I think you have just helped me figure out when I'm getting my mother for her birthday. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's just wild. I, I I know that I've mentioned this before on the show, but like the brain freaks me out. Yeah. You know, I'm like, how is it? Where's all the information that it knows? Like, where? Like, you can't see it. How is it storing it? Freaks me out. Yeah. No, it, it does. It's one of those things where like the more you think about it, the more you're like, whoa. <laughs> wow. It's That's true. And, yeah. you know, I only learned, like, a few years ago, and of course this makes total sense, but it didn't, I, I never thought about it. It's like, your brain doesn't feel any pain. You know, like, there's no pain receptors in your brain. Yeah. So, like, they can poke and prod at it all they want, and you don't actually, like, it doesn't hurt you. Uh, which is okay. weird. I didn't, did never, had never thought of that, so thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> yay. Oh, yay. What's your last pick? My last pick is Beasts and Beauty by Saman Chanani, who um, you might have heard of if you are aware of children's fiction at all, because he is the author of the School for Good and Evil series, um, which is a middle grade fantasy series. And I think it's like going to be a Netflix movie relatively soon. Yes, it is. Yes, super popular. So this is a book that is, I mean, I think it's technically kind of geared towards like upper middle school young adults. But like, if you like fairy tales and you like fairy tales retold, this is definitely great for all ages. They sometimes get maybe like a little bit dark, but like not, not like Angela Carter dark because it's still appropriate for children, but like they're, get a little dark um so what's really cool about this collection is that he basically retells 12 um fairy tales and they are all fairy tales that we probably know very well we have you know cinderella you have rapunzel hansel and gretel um jack and the beanstalk and they are all told in this sort of fantasy fairy tale sort of um, dreamy kind of voice so they still do feel kind of like a bedtime story but there's a bit more detail to it and a bit more bite they are very feminist very much about kind of seeing that the people who do wrong get their just desserts if that makes any sense I really enjoyed this collection. I had not read anything um, by this author beforehand, even though I know that that um, School for Good and Evil series is very popular. I used to hand it to kids all the time when I worked in libraries. And I'm really intrigued by his writing now because I, I enjoyed this collection so much. I think that the... The, his retelling of Hansel and Gretel was really great. It was an Indian-inspired retelling where the witch is not who you think she is. Um, I thought that uh, the Jack and the Beanstalk story was a really great retelling as well because it is about parents who aren't very parental and what happens to them. I have to also have to say that this collection, I mentioned that it was feminist. Um, it's diverse. It is, um, you know, LGBTQ inclusive. So that was really fun to see. And I, I think that this is going to be, I don't know, a really popular book with a lot of readers of all ages, um, because these stories were just super clever. Um, so that is Beasts in Beauty, uh, by Saman Chanani. Okay, so before we talk about what we're going to read next, I just wanted to take a minute. Uh, the 
National Book Award long lists came out this week, as did the Booker Prize shortlist. And I was thinking that I hadn't read a lot of the books on the NBA long list, but I realize now, like, I have read eight of the ten for fiction. <laughs> Although I have read, like, not many of the nonfiction. I haven't read any of the poetry. I've read, like, two of the translated, and I think I've read, like, two of the YA. So I was just wondering if you had any favorites, because you are the YA expert. I was wondering if you had any favorites in that, and, like, maybe a book that you would have wanted to see on that list. I super love that um, Last Night at the Telegraph Club by Melinda Mm -hmm. Lowe is on the young readers list because I love that book. Um, And I know that I, I talked about that book on the show in January. I'm pretty sure, or maybe I did. Yeah. I was like, you know, everything's just kind of a blur right now. Um, I also (laughs) read um, the legend of Auntie Poe a couple weeks ago, and I really enjoyed that. Um, and I'm super excited to see Revolution in Our Time, which will be out next week by Kekla Magoon. That is a nonfiction um, about the Black Panther Party. And I don't know about you, but like, I definitely only got one very negative side of the Black Panther Party when I learned about them in school. So um, I have an arc of this and I've started reading it. It's super immersive, very well researched, very well written. And I think it's really essential reading for a lot of us who also got a similarly negative one-sided view of the Black Panther Party in school. Um, So, I mean, overall, I think this is a fantastic long list for young people's literature. There are some books I haven't read, but I'm excited to see, you know, three nonfiction books. I'm excited to see some graphic fiction. I'm excited to see, you know, Melinda's book on there. So, yeah, I I was overall very pleased with the um, young people's list. As far as books that I thought that should have gone on there, um, I don't know. Because, like, I read a lot of really good YA this year, but I also feel like what gets picked for the National Book Awards is, like, a very specific type of book. So I've read really great books, but I know that they wouldn't have necessarily been chosen for this honor just because of the types of books that they are, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... I've this year, I think as far as like standout YA, I'm just like scrolling through my list of all the books that I've read (laughs) because I'm trying to figure out like, well, I'm not going to put you on the spot. You know, you don't have to, I'm not going to force you to pick one. (laughs) No, I really liked The Marvelous Mirza Girls by um, Sheba Kareem. I think that was an excellent book. And that's kind of like on that same level. And like, it's the type of book that I think the committee might have picked, but definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, you know, it's so hard because the, what, the, what are there, like, four judges? And I'm sure that they are all very distinguished and they are very well read. But, like, at the end of the day, like, they are only human beings. So, you know, it's 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 just so hard. And there's so many books that come out each year. But I know you have feelings yeah. about, like, books that you also are excited to talk about that maybe didn't get on that list. Well, you know, I love – it's hard. I don't know who I would vote for now. For the, I'm not going to read all the titles for like the the award for fiction, but I mean, my hero Elizabeth McCracken is on this list. So I mean, how could I pick anybody else? But then also <laughs> like the new Anthony Doors is on here, and the love songs, the Honoré Jeffers book, um, that's the new Oprah pick is on here, and the new Lauren Groff, and I'm just like ah. And you know what else is on here, which actually comes out today, which we did not talk about because neither one of us has read it, uh, is Bewilderment by Richard Powers, which is also on the Booker Prize shortlist. It's like the only crossover on these lists. So like, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to win. Like look at A Little Life. That was on like every single mm-hmm. like award shortlist and it ended up winning like no awards, you know. Yeah. Um, but if I had to pick a book to put on this list that, uh, you know, that I'm sad it isn't here, I think I would go with The Rib King by Lady Hubbard because I'm low-key obsessed with that book. <laughs> Not even low-key. I am obsessed with that book. And I really thought, like, of all the things I read this year, that might be the one that would make it. Um, So I would definitely add that. But, yeah, every year I'm glad that I don't have to choose because I just love everything. Yes. Yeah, I think one year um, when Jacqueline Woodson was a judge and she was like, I love you all. This was so much fun. I never want to do this again because it must be so (laughs) difficult. And like I've I have a friend who was a judge one year and I remember visiting her in her house. This was obviously pre-COVID and like just looking at like all of the boxes of books. And she was like, yeah, it's a lot. And like, it's really cool. But yeah, it's 
it's a lot. So, um, yeah. I mean, those, those people who the judges, that's, you know, hats off to them because they do oh, an incredible amount of work. And um, it's so hard to pick books. Like, well, there are so many great books. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of great books, uh, those were our new books and our thoughts on the NBA. What are you going to read next? Oh, well, I have a giant stack of books on my nightstand and, you know, like 18 million books in my house, then all of which are calling out to me, especially since it's like spooky season and I really just want to read spooky books. But I am also in the middle of reading for the very first time The Secret History. By right, Donna Tartt, I forgot about that. Which, yes, you and I have talked about this because it's one of your most favorite books. Yes. But yeah, I'm reading it for the first time and it's really exciting. And it's one of those books that I'm like not necessarily like picking up every time I sit down to read because I feel like you need to like plan out some immersive reading time. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm not quite halfway through it, but I'm enjoying it. I'm intrigued by it. I'm trying <laughs> not to like let all the hype about this book sort of color my opinion about it. Mm-hmm. But I'm enjoying it. And yeah, I'm probably going to get more in this weekend. That's good. Uh, so I am going to read Four Aunties and a Wedding by Jesse Q. Satanto, author of Dial A for Aunties, which is like a huge, 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 huge hit. Uh, with book writers and just in general, people are loving that book. So this is the second one. And I'm also reading still the, the Preston and Child series, which is just, oh, it's just like popcorn for my brain. I'm enjoying those so much. So I'm halfway through Cabinet of Curiosities, which is almost 700 pages long. And I've discovered that mass markets don't quite work for me anymore like they used to. Uh, I had to get like a magnifying glass in addition to like my glasses because it's just so small now. It makes me kind of sad, but I love mass markets because, you know, they cost less than hardcovers, which means you can buy more books to read and you can fit more on your shelves. Uh, So I am enjoying them. It's not going to stop me from reading them, but it's so much fun. So I just love books. We all love books. That's why we're here. And that is it for us today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com if you want to let us know something. You can find us online, Tears of Hangs Out, on Twitter and Instagram at Tears of Price. It's T I R Z A H. She has a Z in her name. It's so cool. Price. And I mostly hang out on Instagram at Friends and Comes Alive, which also has a Z in it, but it's not my name, so it's not as cool. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us, and thank you to everyone who has done that. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading.